Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be here today together to worship God, to study his word here in this place, and thereby to give him glory. And we need to always remember that when we come to worship God, he is the one being worshiped. We are the worshipers. And our object ought to be bottom line always to glorify God and through our worship of him. If you're visiting with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. And we're thankful that we can be together today. And we pray that your being here will be a blessing to you. It's already a blessing to us. Please, all of our regular members, notice our visitors, welcome them, encourage them to come back with us as often as they, ha as, as they can. And if you're traveling, please be safe as you travel. When you're back in this area, come back and be with us again. And it's good to see those who have been with us and then have been away and back with us again. It's good to see you. Others who have been traveling back together and back together with the congregation here, we're thankful to see you as well. We want to remember Mary Judson. Please keep her in your prayers as she goes into the hospital tomorrow for surgery and it will involve brain surgery. And so please pray that God will take care of her through that and guide everything to go excellently and completely successfully and as easily and as easy a time of recovery as possible as well. I want us to ask a question. By the way, let us remember that we've got a gospel meeting coming up and that will begin the second Sunday of October and we'll go through that Wednesday evening. Dwight Butler will be speaking. Dwight's been with us before, and, uh, but it's been a long time. So we're looking forward to having him back with us. And this is our first gospel meeting since COVID. So we're thankful to be able to get more and more back into normal activities. Uh, we're already back with all of our regular services, but we're thankful to be able to start having these events as well. So please keep Dwight and keep the work of the gospel meeting, the purpose of it in your prayers. I want us to ask a question. We always need to keep in the forefront of our minds that we're Christians because God has called us through his son, our Lord and Savior, to be, become Christians. But now, what kind of people does Jesus call to follow him? In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, of course, we understand the great invitation extended by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to all mankind. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus gives that great invitation, says to everybody through all time, all over the world, come to me. But does Jesus, does he call a certain kind of people to come to him or a certain kinds of people to follow him? You know, I'm thankful that as we look out over our congregation on a normal basis, we're a very diverse congregation. And I'm not talking about just different ethnic backgrounds, but that's very, very prevalent and very recognizable. But we've got people from different countries. We've got people also from different levels on the economic strata of our, so, of our society and culture. We've got people of different educational backgrounds. And you know what? We all come together and we're family. And I believe for the most part, by and large, Almost all the way across the board, we act like family, and that's how we should act. What kind of people does Jesus call to follow him? Does social standing have anything to do with 
who Jesus calls to follow him? Or does career success make it any more likely to be called by Jesus to follow him? How about financial stability? Does that have anything to do with it? Those he calls to follow him? Educational achievements, does that make a difference as to who Jesus wants to follow him? Or what, what about somebody of a really low moral background? Does Jesus want those people to follow him? Well, again, we ask the question. Jesus gives the great invitation, come to me all you who, fought, who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. Ultimately, Jesus calls only one kind of person to follow him. Only one. Now we might scratch our head and say, really, what? And that's a sinner. Sinners are the ones he calls to follow him. And since we all are guilty of sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3 and verse 23, then you and I, are the ones that Jesus calls. Every single one of us here today, Jesus calls to come follow him. Everybody we will run into later today, whatever we do, if we go eat someplace or we go to a grocery store or we have some special time with family members, all of us are the ones Jesus calls to follow him. No one is exempt. All of us fit into that identifying designation as sinners. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, the apostle Paul, speaking of himself, he's a gospel preacher. He is an apostle, a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. And by this time, he has gone through Public, he has gone through uh, public ministries and missionary trips, and he's helped establish congregations. And countless souls he has led to Christ by this time. And yet when he writes this particular verse of scripture, he says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to, into the world to save sinners. And then he says, of whom I am chief. We better watch getting the big head when we think, you know, I'm, I'm probably above other people. I, you know, it, it, yeah, he came to call sinners. Yeah, I've, I've committed some sins, but I'm not like those people over there or those people over there or those people down the street. If that's our attitude, we might ought to be repenting right there and asking God's forgiveness for our arrogance. Paul says, I am chief of sinners. Even as a gospel preacher, even as an apostle of Christ, as a Christian for many years by this time, he still remembers how he lived before he became a Christian. And he says, of whom I am chief. Well, let's look at some examples of who Jesus calls to follow him from the scriptures. We see an example of Jesus calling a handicapped person to follow him. In Mark chapter two and verse 17, Jesus heard it and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then in Mark chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, we read this particular text. I'm not going to read the whole text. I just want to get to the point of emphasis that I want to bring out. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. What house? A house. He was there. 
And people heard about it and they began flocking around that house and within that house to come and listen to the Savior. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And so we get the idea that the people, the house was overflowing and, and they, they couldn't even get near the door to the house, not even near the door. And he preached, he preached the word to them. Isn't it wonderful that people come out on that kind of a scale to hear the word of Jesus being preached? God's word being proclaimed, the message of salvation being communicated. Oh, this world, our greatest need is not some kind of fix for global warming. It's not some kind of, of remedy for, for famine. It's not some kind of magical uh, formula that says no more wars. The greatest need of humanity in this world, in this generation, and right at this moment, and in every generation, is to come to the Savior for forgiveness and salvation. Sin is our greatest problem. That's our greatest problem. How skillful the devil is to influence us around, cloud our thinking, to get distracted in a whole host of other directions rather than to focus on our need to be forgiven of our sins. Hmm. They came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof, imagine that, tearing a hole in the roof, and where he was, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying, and notice Jesus' response. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. That's not what we would normally expect to read in the first statement from Jesus. We would expect him from a human perspective to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, he did that later. But the first point of attention that Jesus gave to that particular man who was paralyzed and who either some family members or friends or maybe a combination of both had actually broken through the roof and let him down in his bed before our Lord, the first point of attention Jesus gave to that man was his need for forgiveness of his sins. That was the first point of attention from our Lord. He first dealt with the man's sin handicap, not his physical handicap. We see Jesus also calling a, a powerful a professional, a number of them actually, when he was gathered and eating with them on one occasion. In Mark chapter 2 again, beginning with verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. He said to him, follow me. Now, tax collectors in that day, in that culture, in that part of the world, were looked upon as being among the lowest of the low. And it's not because people didn't like paying taxes, it was because of the way they acted in, in getting people, gouging people to give more into them in taxes so that they beca could become rich based upon their contract with the Roman government. 
They gouged their own people. And so their own people, the Jewish community, looked down upon them as being among the lowest of the low and sinners. So he said to Levi, the son of Alphaeus, follow me. This one who would have been looked down upon so severely by his fellow Jewish people. Follow me, Jesus says to him. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also gathered together with Jesus and his disciples, for they were many and they followed him. Well, now you had some other people who considered themselves better than those tax collectors. They started asking questions. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's saying, I'm right where I need to be. These folks around me right now, they're the ones I came for. His basic perception of their need, even though they were powerful economically and from a government perspective, they had positions of prestige in the eyes of the Roman government who controlled that land. But Jesus focused dead on, on their sin problem, on their sin problem. Well, physical illness, you see, can lead to physical death. But that's not the end. Outside of Christ, all are spiritually sick, and that can result in eternal death. And we're not talking about annihilation. We're talking about eternal condemnation in hell. We read of one account of a black man, a high government official, being called to follow Jesus. He was pointed out, in fact, by not only our Lord, but also by the Holy Spirit to a brother in Christ named Philip, to go and teach this man the gospel. He needs to hear it. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes from, down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 29. Well, a high government official, one of prestige, one of authority, one of position. But fundamentally, he was a man who needed forgiveness. He was a man who needed to come and follow Jesus. We drop down to verse 36. Philip, in this Man from Ethiopia had been studying the Bible, God's word. And they had studied it sufficient that they came to a point where the man was ready to respond in obedience. He was ready to take up his, his place in following Jesus. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So that he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. 
You see, his high position within the government of Ethiopia did not preclude him from needing forgiveness of his sins. He was a sinner in need of forgiveness. He was a sinner who needed to follow Jesus. We look in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. We see religious people, Jewish people from all over the world, the known world at that time. They have come for the first for Passover and then stayed over until Pentecost because it would have been virtually impossible for many of them to have traveled back home those long distances in the way they would have had to travel at that time and then get back for Pentecost, so they would just stay over. And so we're on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. And so some of them are asking the question, as the apostles have been teaching the gospel in the languages of all of the different men there gathered on that day, and there were thousands and probably thousands and thousands and maybe thousands and thousands and thousands, We know that ultimately 3,000 were baptized on that day, but there were probably many others who did not respond in that statement of of obedience. But how is it that some of them began to ask that we hear each in our own language and in our own tongue where we were born? uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful word of God. It was having an impression upon many. But now that was not just the idea of saying, I'm glad you're impressed. But if you follow Peter's sermon, as it is highlighted in the text that follows, he pulled no punches. He convicted many of them, and his effort was to convict all of them, in their minds that they had rejected the Savior. You crucified him in spite of all the evidence that he presented through the signs and wonders and miracles that he performed in your midst. And then when we come to verse 36, Peter calls for the response. He says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we need to do in response to this? Those of us who believe now, what do we need to do in response? And Peter said to them, repent. You rejected your savior, you've got to accept him. You walked away from him, you've got to follow him. You did not believe in him, you've got to believe in him, that he is God's son and your Lord and savior. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, they needed to repent. They needed forgiveness. They were sinners, some of whom might have stood at the cross of Christ as he was crucified on that cross. Some of those might have ridiculed him. But they still were among those Jesus called to follow him. As bad as we might think we are, the call is still out to every one of us every single one of us 
because Jesus came to call only one kind of person to follow him, and that's sinners. And he promises that we all can be forgiven if we will respond to that call. Religious leaders among the Jews came to follow Jesus and became Christians. As we read in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They needed to come and follow Jesus. We read of a sorcerer in Acts chapter, nine, Acts chapter 8 who, called, who is called through the gospel to follow Jesus. Beginning with verse 9, there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery. Now we would say maybe something akin to witchcraft, but maybe not quite that. But we'd say, oh, magician. But he was, he was someone who was a fraud. He was putting himself for, forth as being somebody who could perform signs and wonders and miracles, but it was all trickery. It was all chicanery. And so he practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Well, he fooled them. For the most part, they all thought he was what he claimed to be. Hmm. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Can you imagine? Here was a man who had made his living, got his following by tricking people all the time, making them think that he could do things that he really couldn't, think, couldn't do. And we might think of some of those illusionists who have a great following today and they make you think you, they, you, they can make a, an elephant disappear or make a, a, a jet plane disappear, but it's all trickery, it's all illusion, it's not real, but we're entertained. Well, this man, he had tricked the people for a long time, but imagine what he thought after he had given his life to Christ through the gospel, had been baptized himself, and watched Philip, and later on Peter and John performing real, genuine miracles. How he must have thought, wow, I could never do that. This is the real deal. Jesus called that fraud, that trickster, to come follow him. In Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 9, we see, uh, we see an, 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 I'm sorry, Acts chapter 13, beginning with verse 6. We see another government leader who is called to follow Jesus, and he obeyed. When they had gone through the island of Paphos, and this would have been Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, another sorcerer, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who is with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. He had heard about Jesus, whom they were proclaiming. He wanted to hear more. Then the proconsul believed what he saw, what, he had, what had been done, 
being astonished of the teaching of the Lord. Jesus called this man, this government leader, to follow him. But you know, he even called a blasphemer to follow him. Have you thought about that? One who had blasphemed the name of Christ? Now, probably some of those on Pentecost had done that. But boy, you talk about a great blasphemer, a great enemy of Jesus. Jesus called even him to follow him. As the Apostle Paul, by this time, recounts what he had been before he learned the truth of the gospel of Christ. Beginning with verse 9 in Acts chapter 26, he said, I, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This also I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. Do you get the emotion that he's trying to get across? I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In other words, he said, I hunted them down. But Jesus called even him to follow him. When Paul Paul went on to say in verses 12 through 18 that Jesus confronted him on the way to, to Damascus. And, as, and Paul recognized his terrible wickedness. How could he not being confronted by the Lord himself? His need to be baptized for forgiveness of his sins because he was a grave sinner. And Jesus sent a man named Ananias, a Christian man, to further teach Saul what he needed to do. And so Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus, that great blasphemer, that enemy of the church, the man who hunted down Christians and voted for their execution just because they would not deny Christ. Ananias came to him, sent by Jesus, and he asked Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Oh, yes. Even a blasphemer, even an enemy of the, of the church, even one who hunted down Christians and voted for their execution, compelled them and imagine what he might have done to them to compel them to blaspheme the name of Christ. Jesus called him to follow him. Interesting. All manner of sinners were called to follow Jesus. Later, Paul wrote to the Corinthian congregation in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All manner of sinners have been called and are continuing to be called to come and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus came for. He came to call all sinners to repentance. 
In Luke 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And all are lost outside of him. All. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, again, remember what Paul said. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's still the Lord's invitation to come to him, to follow him today. And it always will be that invitation. Old, young, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, people of high social standing, people of no social standing, people who seem to be good, moral people, immoral people, people who have lived the vilest kind of lives, all are called to follow Jesus. His call is to everyone. And because all of us are sinners, and sinners are the kind of people Jesus calls to follow him, he's calling you and me if we have not yet accepted that call. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, the apostle Paul says there's none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Galatians 3 and verse 22, the scripture confines all under sin. All of mankind need the Savior. And there is no other Savior. There is no other way to forgiveness and salvation and eternal life except through Christ. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The apostle said in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Where is forgiveness? Where is salvation? Where is eternal life? In Christ. Romans 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're all called in the same way to follow Jesus Christ. And that's through the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The simple gospel message that Jesus told the apostles to preach everywhere, all over the world, and it's our commission, our message to preach and teach today. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age of the world. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's the same message. It's the same call. The gospel is the power of God to lead us to salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Will you accept the gospel call? 
Will you answer Jesus' call to come and follow him? To come to him for forgiveness and salvation today? He still says, come to me and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. The message of forgiveness and salvation is still vital. It is still all-powerful. It is still compelling today if we will come to him repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in him openly, and surrendering to him in baptism the blood that he shed on the cross will cleanse us even now of the guilt of our sins. And to not answer that call is too horrible to contemplate. Second, Corinthians, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. There will be a day when the Lord will come again in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who don't answer the call. And they shall be cut off from the power and the glory of God everlastingly. Do you need to come? Are you ready to answer the call? Do you need to study with somebody, talk with somebody, pray with somebody? We're here if you'll ask us. You need only to step forward or talk with us privately. But if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, he's calling you right now. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I've got the rest you're looking for that you need. I've got the eternal life that should be the goal for the rest of your life here in this earth. Won't you come as we stand together and sing?